Welcome to the Home Staging Show podcast, the show where we dive deep into the world of home staging and how to build a viable home staging business. I'm your host, Cindy Lin, and in each episode, we explore the latest trends, strategies, and art of building a vibrant and thriving home staging business. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 174. Before we start the show today, here is a message from our sponsor. We all need powerful statistics to convince potential clients of the benefits of home staging. Stage flow takes away the pain of having to filter spreadsheets or doing calculations. You enter what you know about every sale of the homes that you've staged and let stage flow do the rest. Easy, real-time statistics for the home staging market. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show and happy May. I hope you're having a great month so far. I know our podcast publishing schedule has been a bit wonky since we are in between editors. So thank you so much for your patience while we search for our next podcast editor. If you don't want to miss any episodes, just subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram so that you're not missing any announcements from the school. Today, I'm super excited to have Terry on the show. I first met her when she took our six-figure floor plan course when I first started the school in 2017. It was the very first course that I launched the school with. I've since took it apart and working on a remodel version of it. I'm going to release the beta version of six-figure floor plan next month, so keep your eyes peeled. If you're a stager looking to refine your staging operations and also work as a true CEO in your staging business instead of the chief everything officer. In the past year or so, I've had a great opportunity to get to know Terry better on a personal level and finally met her in person last spring in New York, saw her work, and then also again last October in Italy for our staging business mastery retreat. I've been admiring her work for many years. Her work is absolutely gorgeous and has a very strong point of view. This is something I think is really important for stagers to build, and you probably hear me talk about this all the time if you listen to the podcast. When you have a strong and clear point of view in your staging work, it's your signature style. It creates a strong differentiation between you and your competitors. It also helps you set expectations, sell you 24-7 in front of your potential staging clients. Staging nowadays has become more and more mainstream, meaning that there are going to be more competition on the market. So you have to find ways to stand out amongst your competitors. By developing your signature style and your brand as a stager, it's going to be super helpful in setting yourself apart from the other competitors in your market. Terry has a signature style that is very recognizable. That's why I've been trying to get her on the podcast for a few years now. So it's quite a treat to finally get her to talk about her process on the podcast. Terry grew up in Pasadena, Texas, deciding in high school that she wanted to study interior design in college. At UNT, she pivoted from interior design into fine arts, and she earned a BFA in printmaking and photography. At Syracuse University, she studied photography and filmmaking as a graduate student before moving to New York City, where she found work first in an art gallery, then as an assistant to the head stylist of the New York Times fashion department as an assistant. After 20 years as a fashion stylist, then the prop stylist for luxury home furnishing clients, Terry eventually transitioned into home staging. Through many years of staging part-time on the evenings and weekends while working full-time selling furniture, she finally started her company, Terry Manor Design, as a full-time stager in 2018. 
The six-figure floor plan course from Sage Moore has helped Terry gain the confidence and tools needed to run a robust staging business, and her success has been growing yearly. Today, she works with both staging and interior decorating clients in Brooklyn, Manhattan, and the surrounding areas, continuing to expand her vision and grow her staging business. Terry is also no stranger to our international home staging awards, having won in various categories over the past few years. Recently, Apartment Therapy recognized her as one of the best home staging companies in the United States. Apartment Therapy named seven staging companies as best in the U.S., and five of them were our award finalists and winners. And three of the best staging companies in the U.S. mentioned by Apartment Therapy are students of our school and participants of last year's retreat. This is very exciting news. You heard from Jess in the last episode, and Ashley in the previous episode, and Terry on today's episode. Honestly, this means a lot to me. I do go through an emo phase from time to time with the school. I'm not sure about what am I doing with the school, if that makes sense or not. But moments like these, when I see these amazing women achieving amazing results in their staging businesses, it really makes you feel that everything is all right and we're on the right track. The main reason why I started the awards was really to provide a platform for talented stagers to gain recognition and build credibility, while showcasing the transformative impact of their staging work, so that we can raise awareness among the general public about the power of home staging. For the awards, we do actively push for publicity on behalf of our participants through working on boosting our SEO, our website searchabilities, and also pitching to additional press outlets. I'm also actually planning to feature the work of our award winners and finalists in the upcoming book that I'm in the beginning part of the planning phase for. So submit your work to the staging awards this year. You can take a look at all the categories and also how to submit by going to stagingawards.com. We also still have spots left for our Italian retreats this September. There are two locations for you to choose this year, either in Florence or Tuscany. Both Jess from the episode before this one and Terry on the episode today, they both talk about the positive impact of the retreat has on their staging businesses, and they both will return to a retreat this year in September. So if you have been thinking about it, don't hesitate. We already have a big bonus for the retreat participants who sign up before June, which is the three-part events finance workshops. This is going to set a great foundation before you show up at the retreat in September. We are going to go over cash flow management, budgeting, and tax planning for your staging business. This is really for those of you who have been working for a while. If you're completely new to the staging business, these workshops might be a little bit difficult for you because you wouldn't have any numbers to play with. If you're coming on the retreat this year, this is included in your registration because I want us to really hit the ground running once we start the retreat. If you're not coming to a retreat but want to take the finance workshops, just go to stagemore.com/events to sign up. For those of you who are joining the retreat, I'm also going to add a couple more bonuses. I've been working on reworking our community to provide more coaching and support for our students and rebuilding our six-figure floor plan course. If you're joining us in Italy this September, you're going to be the first one to take advantage of both of these programs. The workshop bonus is going to expire soon since we're starting the finance workshops at the beginning of June. So if you have been looking at signing up for a retreat, now is definitely the time. If you're not sure if the retreat is right for you, feel free to DM me on Instagram or email me directly at support@sagemore.com. 
Lastly, if you've been struggling with growing pains, feeling burnt out, or overwhelmed with your staging business, I got a free five-day challenge coming up the first week of June. We're going to dive into different techniques to help you focus on the key activities to grow your staging businesses. You can sign up for our Stager to CEO five-day challenge at stagerumor.com/challenge. We're going to link to all these resources on our show notes and on Instagram as well. You can go to stagerumor.com/podcast to find our episode show notes and find us on Instagram at stagerumor. All right, let's start the show. Hi, Terry. Welcome to the show. Before we get started today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also your home staging business? Hi, Cindy. So nice to be here with you. Thank you for having me. I've been staging for probably about fifteen or sixteen years, but for most of that time, I was doing it part time. I was working full time, staging on nights and weekends. Driving my, <laughs> running myself crazy because that's you know when you're working forty hours a week and you're taking on another part time job, it's really really hard. But I got laid off from that job in 2018, and I decided it was now or never. I started staging full time, and I've never turned back. And I wish I had done it sooner. <laughs> So, and that's when I took your course in 2019, and that spring, which really, I think, because I knew how to stage, I just didn't know how to run it as a business. I didn't know how to make it my full-time income, and I think your course really helped me figure that out. So. That's so nice to say. Thank you. That's really the point of running the school. Really, is we want to make sure. Stagers like you get the tools you need to run your business.、And、I think it's really important that you said that you wish you had done it sooner because I think a lot of people feel scared that they can't let go their full-time job at the moment, but at some point they want to, right? Because they want to get into staging. Do you have advice for people who are going through that right now? Well, you know, it's hard because if you are your sole breadwinner, if you don't have A spouse or someone else that's feeding to your source of income, then it's scary. You know, it's very scary. I think it helps that I had been doing it for so long, part time, and that I had a roster of brokers I was working with. I don't know that that would have been feasible for me if I was out there drumming up business, but I didn't really have to find people to work with. I just had to let them know I was available for more work, and so they gave it to me. They were happy that they could use me more often, so it all worked. How did you get started in staging to begin with? Well, I was a prop stylist for about twenty, twenty-five years. I was working on home furnishings clients. Mostly for print and ad- print advertising, editorial things like that, print catalogs. I was married at the time, and my husband decided he wanted to try real estate. So he started assisting a top broker in the town where we lived. And this broker asked my husband, "Hey,、um, I've got an apartment coming on the market. I think it could really use some staging. Do you know anyone who could do that?" And of course, my husband said,、uh, "I think my wife could do that." So, 
I did. And that got me started. He referred me to other developers he was working with. I started working with him a lot. And that's what launched my staging career. Love it. I feel like most people got into staging by accident. Well, you know, back then there weren't that many stagers. It was kind of a new thing still at that time. So the fact that he was looking for staging meant that he was sort of forward thinking as a broker back then to even, you know, want to do that. But he was working on vacant new builds or renovations. So it was kind of a natural thing. It was like a model, you know, a model apartment kind of to stage rather than an occupied listings or something like that. So it's kind of a natural thing to think about staging them. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about the home staging work that you do now. Like what kind of service do you provide for your clients? I do both occupied and vacant. The past couple of years, it's been about 60% vacant, about 40% occupied. This year is shaking out to be about 70% occupied and maybe 30% vacant. Occupies are hard. They're really challenging. You know, you've got to really try to work with what people own. I have to say, there's a lot of stagers in my market area that don't do occupies. So that sets me apart with services that I offer. And the brokers that use me for that service really appreciate the work that I do and how I can work with what people have and stay with a budget and still transform the property. Yeah, because I remember I had the opportunity to go to New York last year and then you showed me around and one of the listing wasn't occupied. And I couldn't tell at all, actually, when we walked in. So I think what you can do is absolutely amazing, which we're going to talk a little bit about later in terms of inventory. But yeah, that's what I really love about your work is they always come off very lifestyle. And I think that might be the influence of being a prop stylist, working in the home furnishing for print and things like that. Mm -hmm. Definitely, I would say. Yeah, which I'll ask you later on too, because I think that's really important (laughs) is to helping people translate because I think one of the things people struggle with in staging I did early on certainly where it was like I thought the staging looked really good but when the photo came out it felt really flat Mm -hmm. so those are some of the things that I think we can talk about later on in the episode as well tell us a little bit about your real estate market in Brooklyn what are some of the challenges that you face staging in Brooklyn Well, you know, I work mostly in Brooklyn, but last year I connected with a team of brokers in Manhattan and I just did two projects with them for them this year in Manhattan so far. So I guess I'm becoming a Manhattan stager as well. (laughs) In New York, the housing market is very different from most cities. We have what's referred to as pre-war buildings and post-war buildings pre-war meaning pre-World War II. In the post-war, you could have things built in the 50s or 60s that are very mid-century modern in design. The pre-wars, you know, are going to have probably high ceilings, moldings, picture moldings, parquet floors. It's going to be a whole different style. And then we also have newly built apartments that are going to be basically usually boxes to work in, sometimes large, sometimes small. And then we have houses, you know, freestanding houses too. 
and townhouses, brownstones. So um, there is such an array of different housing stock that it's a challenge for a staging point of view because of, you know, maintaining inventory for all of those different types of properties. So it's hard. Yeah, let's talk about that now, actually. I'm really curious. So how do you overcome that challenge? Especially, I think, in Brooklyn or in New York, storage is very challenging for stagers. Warehouse can be very expensive. Well, I think that's one of the advantages to using rental furniture, because when you have such a variety of different types of needs, it would be really hard to have furniture to fit all of those different types of properties. So, and also, you know, not only different styles, but different scales and uh, different color palettes and all of that. When you're doing Occupied, you know, and, and also owning my own furniture, I would not want to use my own pieces like upholstery pieces in um, Occupied properties. You know, it's one thing to use an end table, that's fine, but I wouldn't want to use my own sofa that people are sitting on and all of that. A lot of people have cats or dogs or kids. and So I'd rather rent those kind of things. So it really helps to utilize rental furniture. I just increased my storage space last week. I upped the size of one of my storage units. Things are getting tight because I keep buying and buying and buying. I'm just about to order some folding beds because I have a couple of projects that I don't need enough to rent furniture for, but I need to create a bed in a room that's secretly an office and a bed to turn it into a bedroom. I can't just rent that. So I'm buying some of those folding mattresses and folding beds. So yeah, I keep adding to my inventory. It's kind of getting out of hand. <laughs> We all been there. <laughs> I mean, when you need to, you need to, right? Because it's difficult if you just want to rent one bed from a rental company. There's usually can't. some sort of minimum. There's a minimum. Yeah, there's yeah. a minimum. So you can't. But, you know, I already have some folding, like, twin bed frames. Jess was telling me that she uses the fold-up mattresses, and they work really well. I really don't like air mattresses. I have a couple of twin ones, but... You know, they lose air and I don't trust them and they always look kind of lumpy. You can't get a really nice looking bed and I don't know. I prefer to use something that's a little more stable. Yeah, it's funny that Jess mentioned you on her podcast interview too and her episode <laughs> is going to air before yours. So it'd be oh, funny. Yeah. You guys are like buddies <laughs> now after the retreat. <laughs> yeah, we're planning to get together for dinner in Rome in between the Florence and the Tuscany. Oh my God, because yeah, you're going to be on the Florence retreat. She's uh-huh. going to be on the Tuscany retreat, but there's one so, weekend in between. Yeah, yeah, heading to Rome early and I'm probably going to Rome after Florence. So we thought we'd try to have dinner. So. You should, especially we'll Florence is such an easy train ride to essentially anywhere in Italy, except Sicily, because you are, you know, separated by the sea. But yeah, I think that's amazing. That's great. Yeah, Jess is doing yeah. amazing too. Like, I just love listening to her talking it's about great. inventory and warehouse. Mm-hmm. She's amazing with that. So yeah, I'm glad you guys are still chatting. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and I and I chat with Ashley too. So. Oh my God, yeah. Yay! Yeah. That's Yay. what I want to see with <laughs> retreats, you know, because 
as a host, I was really nervous about doing this in Italy because most people are like, well, the States is so much easier. But I was like, you know, why don't we do something a little bit different than what other people are doing? And I think Italy is a great space to do a business retreat. And then also having Elaine co-teaching it. Her experience and my experience are very different. She has a very sizable staging business. So you can draw experiences from both of us. And also all the other stagers in the group as well. I was really nervous about it. And that's why I had my friend Hussein come on the trip because I was like, I right. need you to calm me down. Oh, I wasn't <laughs> going to freak out the entire time. And so I'm glad that it all really worked out. You all benefit from the retreat. Your energy completely shifted in a week and it was amazing. And I still, I remember getting DMs from you after the retreat about all these changes you're making in your businesses. I was really excited about that. I remember you told me you bought a van too. So how is that I working out? I did my out? van. I love my vans. You know, driving around with a van with my logo on it, I do feel more professional. I feel a little like the boss lady, you know? It kind of, it kind of gives you a sense of presence. And it's great not having to think about having to go to U-Haul and do those rentals all the time and returns and all of that. And now that I've got this big design project in New Jersey, I don't even know how I would have done that without a van because, you know, I need to be able to drive there. And just like right now, I took a uh, staging down the other day and I didn't have to go and take it all out right away. It's sitting in there till tomorrow morning when my guys were going to meet me and because I was staging tomorrow and they're going to take that stuff out and load up for the new job. And it's just a little bit of more freedom with scheduling so I think that's what I miss most with my staging business is the cargo van that we had but it's so easy right we have all the tools we have extra bins for fillers pillow inserts and everything I don't have that I don't have room (laughs) often when it gets loaded I have these two brothers that load my van they're my movers and one brother Caesar is a puzzle solver he gets tremendous pleasure out of making huge amount of things fit into the van where you can't even like get another feather in there. <laughs> so I don't have room for extra tubs. I've got some rolls of tape and shrink wrap tucked in the sides and that's about all I can take. <laughs> but amazingly, he makes room for himself to ride in there. I don't even know. I was like, can you really fit? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm fine. <laughs> luckily they're not very tall people they're on the shorter side and he manages to fit inside the back of the van I really don't know how but he does (laughs) it just reminds me this old Ikea commercial where the mom basically packed the minivan to the brim and you literally open the door and her child is like squeezed on this one (laughs) chair and he's holding this Ikea bag and then she's like here's another pillow she slowly put it on top of him and then closed the door (laughs) that's exactly how my van is with Caesar in the back (laughs) it's funny but they're really great and I like working with them because they take such care of my things they never break anything they're super careful with the way they handle everything and it's really great to have movers that you can really trust with your stuff 
I know. I think that's the tricky thing when you start carrying inventory is where to house it, how to transport it, and how to maintain it, and also who to move it. Right? These are usually the most challenging pieces. I think that vacant stagers have to nail to make sure they have very smooth workflow on the job site. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's great that you're leveraging rental furniture companies. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Because I was really surprised when I saw your project in person. You rent it from multiple rental companies for your listings. Oh, that was an anomaly. I usually just try to rent from one place, but for that particular house that you saw, it was a brownstone. It was a huge living room, and I had this particular vision in my head of how I wanted it to look. And I could not get everything I wanted from one place, so I did rent from two places. And I had one other project in Manhattan last year that I rented from two places, just because of who had what to offer. But I usually try to stick to one place just because of extra cost with deliveries and just the hassle of having, you know, to accept deliveries from two. Places and pickups from two places and all of that. But yeah, sometimes when you have a higher end, higher profile project, you do what you have to do to get the best outcome. Yeah, and I think the result really spoke for itself. You also entered that project in the Staging Awards, and it looked amazing. I think one of the things I love about your work one is very lifestyley, so it doesn't feel staged. Two is the inventory selection is very curated. It feels very intentional, and it's also very well mixed. That a lot of times when I look at Stager's portfolio, I can tell well they got this from what furniture house, they got this from what catalog. But yours, I really could not <laughs> tell. A lot of times, I was like, "Where is this from? This looks amazing." Oh, yeah, I I really uh, you know people use the word curate, but I really feel like my collection of props is curated it's like I really try to seek out things that are even more unique looking even if I find it at home goods I feel like it's not something in my market that every other stager is going to have partly because our home goods are so small (laughs) but um, uh, you know I really try to seek out different sources. I find things sometimes at thrift stores or charity shops, or I have some things I've had for a very long time and they're just, you know, out of production, but they still work. I try to find art that not everybody has. I think it's worth that extra effort to seek out things that are different to make your project stand out. Especially if you're in a competitive market and you really want your work to not look like the next stagers. Yeah, because I remember talking to Jason on the podcast. He said something very similar because he goes to a lot of antique markets to source Mm -hmm. as well. And I think stagers who have very different looking inventory, you're almost basically always shopping. I remember we were in Palermo market tour and then you guys were like, oh my God, there's fans, like these beautiful fans. And I think, was it you? You and Jess bought a bunch of them for Sage. Jess and I bought them. And then Nikki went back that night and bought like 30. (laughs) She made that vendor very happy. I love that. Because Nikki does Airbnbs. So she wants very um, unique interior. She really sources out unique things because of that. 
and she's leaving them with the property too. So she's selling them to the property for Airbnbs. It's an endless supply that she needs to find of interesting things. But yeah, aren't we all always shopping, you know, as a stager? You've always kind of Regardless of where you're going, you've got your eye out for something unique and interesting. Yeah. And what's usually your creative process like when you get a new staging project? Do you basically see it? You pretty much know in your head what you want to do? Or is there a process that you figure out? No, I have to marinate on things for a while. I have forms that I created. I have a walkthrough form that goes room by room that lists what I need to add to the space, what I need, if it's occupied, what needs to be removed sometimes. I have a job estimator form where I break down everything. Like for my fee, I break down the time it takes to do a proposal, the time of the walkthrough. You know, I didn't used to charge for that. I was cheating myself out of hours. So breaking everything down on a form really helps you cover your actual cost as close to possible as you can. I put in for my one or two assistants, for my movers, for my transportation. I treat my assistants to lunch. I put that in. Actually, the client's paying for it. They don't know that, but they're paying for it because I don't tell them that (laughs) on the job fee. It just gets rolled into the transportation cost or somewhere I can roll it in. I put in the credit card fees if they're paying by credit card. I put in for every little item and then I come up with a total. So having an estimation form really, really helps me make more profit on a job. And then I have an information sheet that I put at the front of my folder where I have all the brokers, the sellers, their emails, if there's a lockbox, I keep all of that on another form. So I do a walkthrough, usually with the broker, sometimes with a contractor for doing renovation work. I come home, I go to my walkthrough form. Oh, and before I even go to the walkthrough, I try to find a layout or a floor plan for the listing, usually from a previous listing or something online. I print that out. I put it on a clipboard with my walkthrough form, a pencil. I have my tape measure, my laser measure, my floor plan, my walkthrough form. I bring all that with me. Sometimes color swatches. If I know we're going to be painting, I'll bring a folder of my favorite whites or whatever. So I show up prepared. And then I can make notes. If I see that I want to put curtains, I can measure and have all of that jotted down. So then I go home and I start looking through my inventory. I start looking if I'm going to be renting furniture. I look and see what there is to offer. And I start putting a shopping cart together. And that helps me figure out the budget. Then after I mark what I need for each room in the house, I'll go back and assign how much I'm going to charge for the rental for those things. And then I come up with my budget, figure out all my hours, and then I type up a proposal. I have my proposals in Keynote. I do very visual proposals that have images and sometimes I'll have before and afters at the end of similar properties that I've staged. It really helps to give them a good idea about what kind of work you do and what your work is going to look like, what they can expect. 
And it's a good selling feature, I think, to show them in the proposal, to show them previous things that you've staged that are similar to their listing. At this point, I've done enough of every different type of listing that, hey, if I'm doing a townhouse, I can pull up a lot of townhouses I've staged. I can pull up things that are very similar to the space that I'm proposing to them. At the end, I'll do before and after is a similar and that's a great selling feature to be able to show before and afters. Because then you can really see how you transformed the space, you know, when you show someone what it looked like before, which they just don't get from seeing a beautiful picture of the after. <laughs> oh, that's what she dealt with. Okay, now I see. So then I send the proposal to the broker, they send it back. I get an approval, then I send out my agreement, my invoice. I invoice 50 up front, 50 after I do the staging, after I do the staging setup, I should say, not when the staging's over. And that's my process. I know it's different from other people. I think we all work differently somewhat, but that's what works for me. I think it's important to figure out what works for you and your business, and that might look differently from stager to stager, and that's fine because you have a different market, you have a different style of working. You just have to find what works and flows well for you. I used to work with an assistant and she couldn't understand why I couldn't just give a flat rate. And it's true that if I sat down and analyzed, I could probably do an analysis of different size apartments and come up with a flat rate for how much, because at this point I can tell you what a range is going to be, but when you're doing Occupies, especially, it's so enormous in terms of what you may be able to work with that they own, what you have to bring in. I find it really hard to, and also by actually going through it in such detail beforehand, it really helps with when you get to actually doing the project, you've got everything mapped out for you. You've got your shopping cart, you've got your printout of what you're going to rent, you've got your list of what you're going to take from your inventory. You've got all of that. So it makes it very easy then to pull the job together. But the downside is if you bid on something and you don't get it, you've put in a lot of time that you probably could have avoided by not doing such detail. So I don't know. Yeah. Do you ever thought about charging for estimates? I do, but only if I get the job. In my market, nobody does that. Nobody that I know of does that. And I feel like I would lose work if I did that. Um, right. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things was that you actually print out a floor plan and then really plan it detail by detail. It's a really interesting way of approaching it because I think I'm very like eyeball, you know, like I walk into the room, I eyeball it. I know kind (laughs) of roughly where things are going to fit. And then if I really can't figure out, I measure the room to make sure that we are going to be on point when we bring our inventory in. So it's really interesting listening to a different way of working where you're really planning out all the details within the project. Well, you know, part of that comes from using rental furniture, because if you just look at a floor plan from a realtor, they just give you the overall room dimensions, but you may have a wall that's intersected by a door and you have segments of the wall that you want to put a piece of furniture on, but those dimensions of those segments are not on that floor plan. So 
it really helps to have your floor plan. You can just plop those dimensions right on there. Something I just did um, last week, I'm doing this big design project that I mentioned in New Jersey. And I, for the first time, used my iPad on site and I was taking elevation shots and then using the Apple Pencil to write directly on the floor plan, you know, for dimensions. And that was pretty cool. So I think I'm going to start doing that more, maybe. That's right. Leverage technology, (laughs) baby. (laughs) I know. It was helpful to just be able to, you know, but yeah, so I liked that. And how much inventory are you stocking now? Because you use rental furniture. Is that every single listing? Because yeah. I remember why why went you had your own artwork, your accessories, your linens, and all that. Yeah, I've added a lot of furniture in the past year. I have quite a few sets of dining chairs. I have a few desks. I have everything but beds and sofas right now. I have one queen bed. I have some twin foldable frames. I don't have any sofas though, but I have half a dozen cut coffee tables. I have a lot of nightstands or end tables that I use as nightstands and things like that. I just, I haven't made the plunge to the big pieces. I have one dresser, one TV stand, like nice ones, you know, but yeah, I haven't started to stock bigger pieces. Another one of my hesitations is partly that I do 50% occupied and I wouldn't be using those pieces with occupied. But secondly, the variety of different types of properties and sizes needed, but also once if I decide to venture into owning furniture, I don't want to own inexpensive looking pieces. I want things that are a little higher end looking, which is I mean, Jason has gone that route. He's gone higher end with his pieces. And it's an investment. It's a big investment to buy higher end pieces. Even if you're buying wholesale, it's still an investment. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things I really love about your work is that you have a very distinctive look. It's basically a signature style. We had a apartment therapy editor last year on the jury for the awards. And because it's blind judging, so all they see is the work. So they're emailing me after the awards. We want to interview these following stagers. All they could do is send me the photos that they had. And I remember looking at yours. I was like, I bet this is Terry. And of course, I have to verify it. But sure enough, it was you. Because you have a very distinctive style. Can we talk a little bit about that? How do you hone your signature style so that you're very consistent every single time with staging that your client knows exactly that, okay, this is a Terry house? I buy what I like. <laughs> you know, I have certain things that I just like. I, I tend to, I like eclectic styles. I like, um, I call it sort of global mid-century. So I like mid-century modern, but I like kind of global accent to it. Like things like mud cloth pillows and baskets. And I guess just sort of Scandinavian Japandi, they call it sometimes. Scandi, Japandi, mid-century. I don't, I don't know. I, I love uh, I love Italian mid-century light fixtures and scenish design and all of that. But it all kind of gets embroiled together. I love things that have texture and organic qualities to them and visual interest. So uniqueness. 
I'm conscious about price point. I try to not buy things that cost a fortune. But sometimes I find really cool things, even from like tjmax.com or HomeGoods. I was just shopping. I did a staging in Manhattan a couple of weeks ago, and I was way uptown in Manhattan. And I told my assistant, you know, there's a really good home goods up here. Let's go shopping after we finish, after we wrap. So we went to Home Goods and I found this adorable kids' play kitchen all made of wicker. And it was so cute. <laughs> Just like, oh my God, I have to have this piece. And I have a project coming up in two weeks that I had in mind that I'm going to use it for because I'm doing a kids' room there. And that broker loves boho and she loves really unique, cute you know, things like that. And I knew she would love it. And I said, Jessica, look what I'm going to use for your project. And she's going, oh my God, I love it. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes you just find really interesting things, cool things, wherever you look. It's a matter of looking for it. You mentioned that there's a wide variety of homes that you're staging in New York and Brooklyn area. So how do you translate your style in different types of homes? That's where you have to have a lot of different types of inventory. But, you know, I don't hesitate to bring in mid-century items to a turn-of-the-century brownstone. I think that juxtaposition of style is what makes things interesting. And it also updates older types of homes to bring in updated pieces to them especially with occupied listings. And sometimes I do things where people have been living there for 40 years. And yes, they may have a few pieces that you can work with, but you have to bring in modern pieces to make that house look more appealing to current buyers. And current buyers are for those type of properties are in their 40s, probably. And a lot of them are very media savvy. They're very Instagram savvy. So you want to try to appeal to those sort of sensibilities. And that's what's going to make them respond in a positive way to that house, to that home, by having an updated, up-to-date look, even if it's a historic property. Yeah. And I think one of the things I really like about what you do is you make it very lifestyle. I said that over and over again. I think this may have been influence of your previous position, which is a prop and photo stylist, because when you're shooting for catalog, everything needs to look very lifestyle. And actually, I go on your website sometimes as part of my teaching tool, because I think a lot of times staging schools teach a very cookie cutter way in terms of how to hang artwork, for example, like you always want to hang the two of them, the same size, side by side. So it looks a bit formulaic, but you actually hang it the way how real people would live in a home. They're not symmetrical. They're Mm -hmm. in a really interesting looking grouping. Sometimes they're asymmetrical and it works really well. And I think that's why your photos look really, really strong every single time. Thanks. I just finished a listing in Chelsea in Manhattan a couple weeks ago. And Chelsea is the neighborhood, you know, where there are all the art galleries and all of that. This apartment had a wall in the living room, living dining room that was probably 20, 25 feet long, really long. The only continual wall because the other walls were all glass. And I hung a series of art there, almost like in a gallery, a little asymmetrically placed, and it worked. 
gallery walls are kind of a big thing in New York. You know, Jason does a lot of them. I like a good gallery wall. It uses a lot of art, but it makes a room interesting. So I do that sometimes. I also think makes it look more lived in because I think one of the things people criticize about staging is it looks too staged. So it's important to make sure that your staging doesn't look very cookie cutter. We want to make it looks like someone's lived in, but not too lived in. That is stripping away that kind of fantasy what the buyers want to buy into because they're buying into an aspirational lifestyle. Absolutely. You know, I did a walkthrough yesterday. The broker just got this listing because another broker had it from a different firm and it didn't sell. I walked in and these people were living there, but it felt like a hotel room. There was nothing around. It's like there was nothing on the coffee table. There were no sofa pillows. There was no rug. There was very sparsely decorated on the TV bookshelf. And she said the previous broker had them take everything out. And it's interesting because this is the second listing that I've gotten with this particular broker from this other broker who had it before and didn't sell. And, you know, she's having her clients strip too much out of their homes. So we're bringing things back in, but my stuff rather than their stuff. You know, I don't know what the things look like that she had them take out. Maybe they should have been taken out, but they should have been replaced with some other pieces. If something looks like a hotel room, it's not going to sell. People need to connect to the space when they walk into it, that it feels like they could live there. And it looks like the way somebody lives, but in an aspirational kind of way. It makes them want to have that kind of lifestyle. So it makes them want to live there because it's beautiful, but it doesn't feel out of touch. It feels like something they could actually live in, but just in an elevated kind of way to how they live right now. It's important to keep more rather than less. That makes sense, but not too much. Not too much. No, you don't want it chunked up, but you want it to feel normal. I like it to feel like how people live, you know, as much as possible. One of the challenging things like we talked about earlier is that because camera flans everything, it's a two dimension medium where our eyes are three dimension, right? We see everything in three dimensions. So a lot of times we get staging photos back and they look really flat. And I never Mm -hmm. see that with your work. So do you have any tricks to combat this? Hire a good photographer. (laughs) Seriously, I see a huge difference between the pictures that I have of my staging versus with someone who's a really good photographer than someone who's not so great. That comes from being a prop stylist too, knowing how to walk into a room. You automatically figure out where the camera's going to be placed. And you can look at the room from that point of view. Looking at your pictures from the walkthrough on your camera phone really helps too. Or, you know, looking at those pictures afterwards, and you can really see where art needs to be placed. You know, you can see where what's going to be showing in the picture and what areas you need to emphasize from the point of view of the camera to make sure that it's going to look good in the final shot. And I find that when I do that, then they don't feel the need so much to move my things around. I don't like it when photographers move my (laughs) when the broker moves my stuff around. 
I find that if I'm really aware of where the camera point of view is going to be and make sure I'm staging to that, then you're going to get less of your stuff moved around. So, yeah, I think uh, point of view is a big thing. I've interviewed so many stagers and seeing so many stagers work through awards and, you know, things like that. It really, it always comes down to the point of view. And I think that also helps to attract the right client for you as well. Because if you have a very strong point of view, it comes through your portfolio photos. People know exactly what they're going to hire when they hire you. And that's really important. It's that also setting the right expectation for your staging clients. You know, another trick that I've learned is a subtle hint to the broker about shots that they can take. Like at the end of the day, I'll take shots and sometimes I'll take a beauty shot, like from a certain angle that I like. And I send those, I send my shots to the broker, you know, because they're not usually there when I'm done. They want to see what it looks like. So they're not shocked when they walk in the next day with the photographer. And sometimes I'll do a beauty shot and they'll replicate that shot with the professional photographer. So you're subtly kind of manipulating or influencing the shots you get back by suggesting shots to them. So it can be helpful to do that, to kind of ensure that you get back things you want in your photos as well. So I love that, actually. I like that trick. I think photography is such an important aspect in staging, not only to showcase our portfolio, sell ourselves, but a lot of times, like you were talking about checking your phone, like on the camera. That's how me and my sister, we used to work together on stagings, and sometimes we disagree on things. And that's usually the deal breaker. We'll take a photo from the doorway. Mm-hmm. And usually that's very clear in terms of who is correct and who is not. <laughs> Yeah, the camera sees things differently than your eye does. Sometimes I don't realize that there needs to be a piece of art, say, between those two windows. But when you look at it in the camera, you can see that, yeah, it would be better if there was something on that wall or, you know, in that position. So it helps for sure. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of our show. I can't believe it. By the way, you look so good. Like your energy looks so good. Yeah. Everything. You look so clear. You look very happy. It's just, yeah, I'm really thrilled to see everything you've achieved so far. I mean, since the very beginning, I remember when I first got your email about possibly taking the course. And then to now, you know, being in Palermo with you last year, visiting you in New York last year, that was just it's amazing to see all that you achieved. I'm super happy for you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a journey and it's continuing. I know, and you're beaming. That's what I love to see <laughs> you. Like, I want to see you incredibly happy. I remember last year when I visited you, you were telling me about your assistant who's allergic to Wi-Fi. And I was like, no, you, <laughs> you, you deserve, you're so good at what you do. Like your interiors are incredible. Your design work is incredible. You deserve so much more. You need capable system yeah. that you have now yeah. to really help to lift you up and help you push your staging business forward. So I'm really glad to hear all these changes that you've been making. So, yeah. Well, that's something that I got out of the staging retreat. Actually, while we were there, I got an email from a broker I work with, and he told me, hey, Terry, do you need an assistant? I have this tenant 
in my downstairs apartment who I think would be really great for you. He's got a degree from SCAD. He's a jewelry designer and he's really, really nice. And I think you guys would sort of could get along. And so I said, okay, I'll meet him. So I only had one job at the end of the year that I could use him on, but I tried him on that. And I said, oh my God, this guy can do everything. <laughs> he was hanging art. He was putting furniture together. He was taking over in a good way though and I said oh my goodness so I'm actually he's become my primary student I'm training him so when I go back to Italy he can actually handle a job for me in September if I have one at that time which I probably will and he's really great I also have an assistant now for design work who finished his associate's degree in interior design and he's very professional very capable I have another assistant who does all the bedding and does bed scheming and all of that. So I have a team that I didn't have last year, which is great. I know that already changed so much. I mean, when we talk in Palermo, you didn't really have a team then. And actually, you were scared to talk about your finances. In the questionnaire, we want to know roughly where everyone is in their business. I could not get a number out of you. Uh, Not even a ballpark. You, you, yeah, you, you wouldn't even give me a ballpark. I'm like, roughly, what is your revenue? I think you're doing well, but like, are we talking about low six figure, mid six figure, or high six figure? You're like, just totally evading the question. And now I'm listening to you with your proposal where you're outlining things, even like credit card fees, lunches with your team members. I mean, that is absolutely amazing. What a drastic change. Well, I was always doing that. I just wasn't. Well, not all of it. But um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, it really helped to be detailed when you're assessing your fees, because I wasn't billing for a lot of things. And I think a lot of stages aren't billing. So yeah, we have higher assistants who also use to freelance with other big staging companies in the city. And so they told us how the other companies function. And I was really shocked sometimes, even I thought really sizable companies should be really keeping track of the dollars, but people weren't like they really weren't, they really weren't controlling their expenses. And I remember when we were subletting our warehouse space, so we got a bunch of proposals and one of them was a stager and they sent us their bank statement. So they're making 50 grand a month, which is great, but they're also spending 50 grand. And I looked at their bank statement. A lot of them were like Ubers. I was like, why are you taking so many Ubers? You know, like if you plan your inventory well, you plan the moving part well, like your assistant shouldn't be going back on a Uber, you know, every 10 minutes to get new inventory, essentially. I was like really shocked at some of the even big, consider big businesses that they actually weren't in control of their finances. And I think I talk about this all the time, whether it's on the podcast or one-on-one with students. I would say most, out of all the stagers I know interview on the show, most people who have the best businesses or the most successful businesses are usually people who have a very strong handle on their numbers. So, you know, like Elaine, who co-teaches with us on the retreat, who has a very sizable business in the UK or Lori, who interviewed a few episodes ago, they have really strong financial background and really understand their numbers. Yeah. Elaine is great. And I've been using her Stageflow app and I plugged in all my numbers from 2022 at the end of the year. 
and this year I'm trying to keep it up, you know, as I go along, but it really, I've already used those numbers in marketing presentations and it's helpful to be able to tell people what your average return investment is and things like that. So yeah, definitely good. I love this new you that is really embracing numbers. It's great. <laughs> I can't wait to dive in this we September. We should all embrace numbers. We should. I mean, it's not calculus, right? Like you just need to learn how to calculate your own paycheck and making sure you're making money every step of the way. Otherwise, you're just going to keep losing money and you get burned out too emotionally because you're going to feel ashamed or embarrassed or guilty that you're not making money and you're putting all these personal sacrifices. Maybe it's time with your family, with your parents, with your child, whatever it is. So we want people to embrace numbers. <laughs> well, the other big help is I use QuickBooks and they have something called QuickBooks Cash. And you can create like nine envelopes. It's sort of like profit first, how you put your money aside in envelopes. So I started using that and I can put money aside out of every invoice for my sales taxes and for my IRS taxes and for a vacation fund and for, you know, for all of those different things. So it really helps you control your finances. And I have an envelope that's called staging, desaging funds. So when someone pays me and I know I'm going to have to hold money back to pay my movers, you know, when I go to pick things up and pay an assistant, I'll put whatever money I need for that coming up. So it's all accounted for. And I don't have to worry that an unexpected expense is going to come up and I can't cover it. So there's peace of mind in knowing that you've got all of that where you need to have it. You know, I just had to pay a sales tax yesterday, but I had it. It was all there. No problem. So, yeah. That's great. So to end our show, what is the number one tip you'll give to home stagers when it comes to pulling their staging together for their listings? I think one of the big things that you can do to help you stand out from other people is something I learned as a prop stylist, and that's how to elevate a space. When I was prop styling and you may be trying to show a product that maybe is inexpensive and you want to make it look expensive, so you elevate it by how you present it. And I think that's what we need to do and be aware of in home staging because we're always trying to elevate the space. And it, you can't elevate something if you don't know what luxury looks like. So I think you have to educate yourself on what luxury, even if you're doing properties that are only two or $300,000, you need to know what a $5 million, $10 million, $30 million property looks like, or what luxury furniture looks like, luxury accessories. And that way, you can take those ideas, take those looks, take those trends and bring it down to whatever level it needs to be to work in your listing, but help elevate it up towards that kind of higher expectation of what something can look like. So I would say just, you know, look at Instagram, look, follow top designers, identify some top designers that have a similar look to what you like and start to analyze the things that they're doing and the way that they're showing rooms and see what you can take from those images for your own use. So. Love it. That's great advice. So thank you again for being on the show. So good to see you. Okay. Great to see you, Cindy. Thanks so much. 
So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, leave a review and rating on iTunes. Share the show on social media. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com/podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging. Mm-hmm.